We only have six pages to go to finish uh, the book, The Wife of Pythagoras, uh, from uh, Ambicus, translated by Thomas Taylor. The prior reading we had read about how that we have six, perfect, uh, how six was the perfect number. <laughs> and we read that the virtues of him who proceeds to contemplative life consist in a departure from terrestrial concerns, and that he could also energize alone. And not to fear a departure from body as into something void and non-entity gives subsistence to fortitude. When we continue from that point, since, however, of purification... One kind consists in purifying, but another pertains to those that are purified. The cathartic virtues are surveyed according to both these significations of purification, for they purify the soul and are present with purification. Hmm. The cathartic virtues. Mm -hmm. Alexa, define the word cathartic. As an adjective, cathartic is usually defined as of or relating to the purging of the emotions or relieving of emotional tensions, especially through certain kinds of art, as tragedy or music. All right. As a noun, cathartic is usually defined as a purgative. For more, ask me to give you more definitions for cathartic. All right. Just get up too early. They sleep too early. Too early? Too early. They like to get up later. Mm. Well, it's too early for a cathartic virtue, sir. Too early. Too early. Purified. The cathartic virtues are surveyed according to both the... the these significations of purification for they purify the soul and present with purification for the end of purification is to become pure. But since purification and the being purified are an ablation of everything foreign, the good resulting from them will be different from that which purifies. So that if that which is purified was good prior to the impurity with which it is defiled. Purification is sufficient. Still don't understand it. <laughs> think it's too early to understand things. Could be too late to understand. Mm -hmm. I may be too late in my life to understand anything. I may be just hopeless now. <laughs> that, however, which remains after purification is good and not purification. The nature of the soul also was not good, but is that which is able to partake of good and is boniform, boniform. For if this were not the case, it would not have been situated in evil. 
the good, therefore, of the soul consists in being united to its generator. But its evil in association with, association with things subordinate to itself. Its evil also is twofold. The one arising from an association with terrestrial natures, but the other from doing this with an excess of the passions. Hmm. You think we've committed excesses in the past? Uh -huh. And with respect to terrestrial natures, <laughs> it's due to excesses of passions. Hence, all the political virtues which liberate the soul from one evil may be denominated virtues and are honorable, but the cathartic are more honorable and liberated from evil so far as it is soul. It is necessary, therefore, that the soul, when purified, should associate with its generator. Hence the virtue of it after its conversion consists in a scientific knowledge of true being. That is like the science of spirituality, I guess. <laughs> But this will not be the case unless conversion proceeds. Uh, conversion. There is therefore another genus of virtues after the cathartic and political, and which are the virtues of the soul, energizing intellectually. And here, indeed, wisdom and prudence consist in the contemplation of those things which intellect possesses. But justice consists in performing what is appropriate uh, in a conformity to and energizing according to intellect. The temperance is an inward conversion of the soul to intellect. Hmm. And fortitude is, is apathy, hmm. according to a solemnitude of that w to which the soul looks, and which is naturally impassive. I don't understand fortitude is apathy. Hmm. Hmm. To look up that word. Hmm. We'll have to have a quiet looker-upper. According to a solemnitude of that to which the soul looks in, which is naturally impassive, these virtues also, in the same manner as the others, naturally follow each other. The fourth species of the virtues is that of the paradigms consisting in intellect, which are more excellent than the psychical virtues and exist as the paradigms of these, the virtues of the soul being the solemnitudes of them. The intellect indeed is that in which all things subsist at once as paradigms. Here therefore prudence is science, but an intellect that knows all things is wisdom. Temperance is that which is converted to itself. The proper work of intellect is the performance of its appropriate duty. 
You think intellect should be used to perform one's duty of um, properly preparing one's meditation mat. <laughs> the proper work of intellect is the performance of its appropriate duty, and this is justice. Uh -huh. hmm. But fortitude is sameness. Uh and the abiding, and the abiding with purity in itself through an abundance of power. How do you use the abundance of power to abide with purity? Huh? You make fortitude in the same way. You make every day make yourself into the same amount of fortitude and abide with purity in itself through an abundance of power. There are therefore four genera of virtues of which indeed some pertain to intellect occur with the essence of it in our paradigmatic. Others pertain to soul now looking to intellect and being filled with it. Others belong to the soul of man purifying itself and being purified from the body and the irrational passions. And others are the virtues of the soul man adorning the man through giving through giving measure and bound to the irrational nature and producing moderation in the passions. We're just supposed to produce moderation. We can have a moderation factory. And he indeed who has the greater virtues has also necessarily the less, but the contrary is not true. That he who has the less has also the greater virtues, nor will he who possesses the greater energize, precedoniously according to the less, but only so far as the necessities of the mortal nature require. The scope also of the virtues is, as we have said, generically different in the different virtues. For the scope of the political virtues is to give measure to the passions in their practical energies according to nature. But the scope of the cathartic virtues is entirely to obliterate the remembrance of the passions. How do you completely obliterate? Entirely to obliterate the remembrance of the passions. And the scope of the rest subsists analogously to what has been before said. And see who energizes according to the practical virtues is a worthy man. But he who energizes according to the cathartic virtues is a demonical man, or is also a good demon. Hmm. Practical virtues. So he's calling for practical virtues over cathartic ones. Should be practical in your practice. He who energizes according to the intellectual virtues alone is a god. But he who energizes according to the paradigmatic virtues is the father of the gods. 
We therefore ought especially to pay attention to the cathartic virtues, since we may obtain these in the present life. But through these the ascent is to the more honorable virtues. Hence it is requisite to survey to what degree purification may be extended. For it is a separation from body and from the passive motion of the irrational part. But how this may be effected and to what extent must now be said. He's going to tell us how we can separate from the body and from the passive motion of the irrational part. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? This is like a how-to, how-to reading. Or, don't they have that on the internet, how-to? <laughs> How to do something. Hmm. Hmm. In the first quote, in the first place, indeed, it is necessary that he who intends to acquire this purification should, as the foundation and basis of it, know himself to be a soul bound in a foreign thing and in a different essence. Do we know ourselves to be a soul? know himself to be a soul bound in a foreign thing Uh are we a soul bound in a foreign country and in the same place as that which is raised from this foundation he should collect himself from the body Hmm. it's like you just collect your attention from the body at your third eye and as it were from different places, so as to be disposed in a manner perfectly impassive with respect to the body. For he who energizes uninterruptedly, according to sense, we have no interruptions during the collection. For he who energizes uninterruptedly according to sense, though he may not do this with an adhering affection and the enjoyment resulting from pleasure, that at the same time his attention is dissipated about the body and in consequence of becoming through sense in contact with it. But we are addicted to the pleasures and pains of sensibles in conjunction with the promptitude and converging sympathy from which disposition it is requisite to be purified. This, however, will be affected by admitting necessary pleasures and the sensations of them merely as remedies or as a liberation from pain in order that the rational part may not be impeded in its energies. Pain also must be taken away, but if this is not possible, it must be mildly diminished, and it will be diminished if the soul is not co-passive with it. Don't be co-passive with pain to diminish it. Anger, likewise, must as much as possible be taken away and must by no means be premeditated, 
But if it cannot be entirely removed, deliberate choice must not be mingled with it. <clears throat> but the unpremeditated motion must be the impulse of the rational part. That, however, which is unpremeditated is imbecile and small. All fear, likewise, must be expelled. You have to expel all fear. All, all fear is expelled. <clears throat> hmm. For he who acquires this purification will fear nothing. Here, however, if it should take place, it will be unpremeditated. Anger, therefore, and fear must be used for the purpose of admonition. But the desire of everything base must be exterminated. Such a one also, so far as he is a cathartic philosopher, will not desire meats and drinks. Mm -hmm. Such a one also, so far as he is a cathartic philosopher, will not desire meats and drinks. Hmm. What's a cathartic philosopher? Is that what we're trying to figure out? I guess that, I guess Pythagoras is a cathartic philosopher. Neither must there be the unpremeditated. In natural veneral connections or connections, veneral is um, sexual. Neither must there be the unpremeditated in natural veneral connections, but if this should take place, it must only be as far as to that precipitate imagination which energizes in sleep. In short, the intellectual soul itself of the purified man must be liberated from all these corporeal propensities. He must likewise endeavor that what is moved to the rational nature of corporeal passions may be moved without sympathy and without Anima, animad, version, animad version, a, n i m a, d v e r s i o n. So that the motions themselves may be immediately dissolved through their vicinity to the reasoning power. This, however, will not take place while the purification is proceeding to its perfection. But will happen to those in whom reason rules without opposition. Do you think that reason rules without opposition? Does reason rule? Does your reason rule you without opposition? I suppose if you were to meditate the minimum requirement of, say, three hours a day, 
It's possible that reason rules without opposition, hence in these, the inferior part. Will so venerate reason that it will be indignant if it is at all moved in consequence of not being quiet when its master is present and will reprove itself for its imbecility. Hmm. Seems like the inferior part might actually venerate reason, which means. Uh, the inferior part, the inferior passions or the inferior part of the mind might become to venerate the universal higher intellectual mind with that it will be indignant if it is at all moved in consequence of not being quiet when its master is present, which is the higher abstract reasoning mind of the, or the causal or universal mind and will reprove itself for its imbecility. These, however, are yet only moderations of the passions, but at length Terminate an apathy. For when co-passivity is entirely exterminated, then apathy is present with him who is purified from it. For passion becomes moved when reason imparts excitation through verging to the irrational nature. Hmm. Coming to the end... What was that? Uh, actually, this falls under one of the quotes. Uh, because in the prior reading, it falls all falls under uh, this part. Huh? Such, therefore, as have the elective and Gnostic part of virtue are denominated skillful and intellect, intelligent. But such as have the ethical and pre-elective part of it are denominated useful and equitable. That was the um, uh, hmm. it says that this account of virtue is extracted from the notes to my translation of Phaedo of Plato. Hmm. Hmm. And this is added to this is added to uh, the additional notes of the Pythagoras biography. This is added by Thomas Taylor. Notes to my translation of the Phaedo of Plato. That we're reading a. We may be reading from Plato. Or Thomas Taylor's Plato. Hmm. Like reading Plato. That was uh, the second to last uh, additional note. And the last one is, The theorems of philosophy are to be enjoyed as much as possible, as if they were ambrosia and nectar. Uh -huh. Now he's saying we should enjoy these theorems of philosophy. Uh -huh. The sentence in the original of our series is as follows. Uh-oh, it's all in Greek. Uh -huh. So I guess you'll have to read this. You want to read it later on? <laughs> I could actually save this for a later reading. In the edition of the Protreptics by Keisling. K-I-E-S-S-L-I-N-G. An edition of the Protreptics by Keisling, which I did not see till the greater part of this work was printed. 
blah, 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 in Greek is substituted for blah in Greek, but in my opinion, very erroneously, and in this German editor from proceeding necessary of reading blah, instead of retaining the reading of R, Keatsius has made nonsense of this part of the sentence where this version is. This is all in Greek and Latin. So if you don't know Greek and Latin, I guess there's no hope. Anyways. Well, this was kind of about uh, the cathartic philosopher. Or was it really just Plato? It all comes back to Plato, really, because... <laughs> all roads lead not to Pythagoras, but to Plato. So here we are. Or maybe they read back to P Pythagoras. Plato's road is to Pythagoras. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I could uh, stop the reading and then continue for a grand, the grand finale, maybe for a closing uh, of the book or a summary, I guess. Mm -hmm. Hmm. In the book, we kept saying we wanted to learn about and read, and we actually didn't read, I don't think, from the book. So we're going to continue from Pythago Pythagoric sentences from Protreptics of Iamblichus. We said we wanted to read the Protreptics. Which, uh, but this says these several of these sentences are published by R. Salaris. A-R-C-E-R-I-U-S, are a very defective state. Uh -huh. This is Thomas Taylor says it's defective, but which are the learned reader will perceive. Uh, but as the learned reader will perceive, I have endeavored to amend in my translation of them. Uh -huh. That's Thomas Taylor, but this is what these protreptics are. He says, as we live through soul, it must be said that by the virtue of this we live well. <laughs> Just as because we see through the eyes, we see well through the virtue of these. <laughs> it must not be thought that gold can be injured by rust or virtue by baseness. <laughs> we should betake ourselves to virtue as to an invaluable fileable temple mm -hmm. in order that we may not be exposed to an ignorant ignoble insolence of soul with respect to our communion with and continuance in life mm -hmm. we should part betake ourselves to virtue as to an inviolable temple inviolatable temple mm -hmm. like we were a temple are you a temple? Uh, Is your body a temple? That's really clear. In order that we may not be exposed to any ignoble insolence of soul with respect to our communion with and continuance in life. Huh? We should be taking to virtue <laughs> that we had read that already. I could just like and turn your body into a temple. <laughs> You think your, your body could replace a church as being a church? <laughs> we should confine, confide in virtue as in a chaste wife, 
but trust to fortune as to an inconstant mistress. Hmm. Hmm. It is better that virtue should be received accompanied with poverty than wealth with violence and frugality with health than veracity with disease. He says it's better to have virtue with poverty than to have wealth with violence. Because if you have a lot of wealth, you're attacked by... Uh, a lot of people, they want your money and they file a lawsuit against you and then sometimes they attack you. And frugality with health. Now how does that work? If you have, what's better? Because we have it's better to have frugality with health than veracity with disease. Can I ask her what the definition of veracity is, or can no. you tell me? <laughs> the opposite. Fruit veracity is the opposite of frugality. Veracity. Oh, voracious. Oh, when I eat like crazy, I get sick. When I overeat, I end up sick the next morning. Right? When we overeat, I feel like a headache and get sick the next morning. Yes. When I eat late in the night. Alright, so it's better if we have virtue with poverty. Well, we have at least poverty already. <laughs> and it's better than wealth and vi with violence. <laughs> and frugality with health, we have... Let's see, frugality... Are we frugality, frugal, or we spend too much on food? <laughs> and veracity with disease. An abundance of nutriment is nauseous to the body, but the body is preserved when the soul is disposed in a becoming manner. Abundance of nutriment is too much food, is it not? We've encountered this in a lot of places. Like John Climacus and the the stair the stairway to heaven, in the ladder in the ladder right, in the ladders to heaven. Of course, a lot of mystics will tell you not to overeat. It is equally dangerous to give a sword to a madman, and power to a depraved man. Hmm. Okay, as it is better for a part of the body which contains purulent matter to be burnt than to continue in the state in which it is. Thus also it is better for a depraved man to die than to live. Hmm. It is. Hmm. The theorems of philosophy are to be enjoyed as much as possible. Could we enjoy the theorems of philosophy? We have to find them. Wait, what are they? Is that what we're trying to find? As if they were ambrosia and nectar. <laughs> My goodness. How can like a, a math formula like the Pythagorean theorem be? Theorems of philosophy, they tell you. They tell you frugality is better than to prefer frugality, but that's not 
Well, his theory of music of the spheres can be enjoyed like ambrosian nectar. That's a false theorem. The theory that the rotations of the planets make some mu beautiful music you can listen to. Or the pleasure arising from them is genuine, uncorruptible, and divine. The things that uh, you said also, mm. theorem, which means uh, oh. it is something that comes from God. Theo means God. Oh, theorems. Uh, the words of God. And also theorem, it is also... Uh, theorems. <laughs> yeah, theorems. Things from God should be enjoyed as much as possible, yeah, as if they were ambrosian nectar. All right, that's well. You have to look at the old meaning of theorem. You can't when you read this, right? You have to read it with. Uh, yeah, you have to read it in context. Yeah, it's hard to read old things. For the pleasure arising from them is genuine, incorruptible, and divine. They are also capable of producing magnanimity. Uh, though they cannot make us eternal beings, yet they enable us to obtain a scientific knowledge of eternal natures. If vigor of sensation is considered by us to be an eligible thing... Uh, we should much more strenuously endeavor to obtain prudence, for it is as it were the sensitive vigor of the practical intellect which we contain. And as though the former, we are not deceived in sensible perceptions, though so through the latter we avoid false reasoning in practical affairs. We should venerate divinity in a proper manner if we render the intellect that is in us pure from all vice as from a certain stain. A temple, indeed, should be adorned with gifts, but the soul with disciplines. He's saying instead of um, adorning it with gifts and things, we can adorn our temple with disciplines, uh, the soul with disciplines. As the lesser mysteries are to be delivered before the greater, thus also discipline must precede philosophy. Do you think it precedes or follows, or both? Hmm. It's not really precedes. You have to be disciplined again. To, to, to study philosophy? Yeah, to study We can't be wishy-washy like T.S. Connie used to say. You have to be disciplined. Uh, <laughs> the fruits of the earth indeed are annually imparted, but the fruits of philosophy are every part of the year. Don't we study more in the wintertime, actually? In the summertime, I just enjoy the fruits of the earth. <laughs> right? <laughs> But it says to enjoy it all year long. Do you think I should study the fruits of philosophy all year long or just in the winter? Huh? 
<laughs> well, I don't have quite the level of discipline needed, so I still have a lot of the irrational part, the irrational part. Then land, as land is especially to be attended to by him who wishes to obtain from it the most excellent fruit. Thus also the greatest attention should be paid to the soul in order that it may produce fruit worthy of its nature. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. We are reading from the book Ambicus's Life of Pythagoras for Pythagoric Life, accompanied by fragments of the ethical writings of certain Pythagoreans in the Doric dialect and a collection of Pythagoras. Pythagoric sentences from Stobius and others, which are omitted by Gale in the Ascula Mythologica, and have not been noticed by any editor, translated from the Greek by Thomas Taylor. Approach ye genuine philosophic view, the Pythagoric life belongs to you, but far, far off you vulgar heard profane, for wisdom's voice is heard by you in vain, and you, mind's lowest link and darkest end. Good rules... Rulers, customs, laws alone can mend. Inner Traditions International, Rochester, Vermont. Uh -huh. Published uh, 1886. Reprinted from the edition of 1818. Uh -huh. This is the 202nd year of this book. Introduction. When it is considered that Pythagoras was the father of philosophy, authentic memoirs of his life cannot fail to be uncommonly interesting to every lover of wisdom particularly to those who reverence the doctrines of Plato, the most genuine and the best of all his disciples. Oh, he's the best disciple. You think Plato is his best disciple? Mm -hmm. hmm. And that the following memoirs of Pythagoras by Amblichus are authentic is accompanied by all the critics as they are, for the most part, obviously derived from sources of very high antiquity, and where the sources are unknown. There is every reason to believe, from the great worth and respectability of the biographer, that the information is perfectly accurate and true. Of the biographer, indeed, I am Bullicus. It is well known to every tyro in Platonism, Platonism, that he was dignified by all the Platonists that succeeded him with the epitaph of divine. And at the encomium passed on him by the acute Emperor Julian, quote, that he was posterior indeed in time, but not ingenious to Plato. All further praise of him would be as unnecessary as the defamation of him by certain modern critics is contemptible and idle. Iambicus. For these amoncilii. Amon Silla Silai, M H O M O N C U L I, looking solely to his deficiency in point of style and not to the magnitude of his intellect, perceive only his little blemishes, but have not even a glimpse of his surpassing excellence. Yeah, these modern critics, they'll like pick apart things which they'll say, oh, that's absurd and couldn't be, and then. 
They missed the whole point. And minutely notice the mods that are scattered in the sunbeams of his genius, but they feel not, not his invigorating warmth. They see not his dazzling radiance. Of this very extraordinary man, there is a life extant by Eunapius. Oh, we could read the life of... Now we could read the life of Iambicus. <laughs> by Enopius. E-U-N-A-P-I-U-S. The substance of which I have given in my history of the restoration of the Platonic theology to which I refer the English reader at present, I shall only select from that work the following biographical particulars respecting our ambicus. He was descended of a family equally illustrious, fortunate, and rich. His country was Chalcis, C-H-A-L-C-I-S, a city of Syria. He's from Syria, dear. We're finding out about this guy finally at the end. What kind of person reads about somebody and don't even know who he is till it's over? <laughs> Which was called C-O-E-L-E. -E. He was associated with Anatolius, who was the second to Porphyry. But he far excelled him in his attainments and ascended to the very summit of philosophy. What? The city? Dear, the city is Chalcis, C-H-A-L-C-I-S, a city in Syria, and it was called C-O-E-L-E. -E. I did. He was second to Forfury, and he is a dangerous in the summit of Osiris, but after he had been for some time connected with Anatolius, and most probably found him insufficient to satisfy the vast desires of his soul, he applied himself to Forfury. P-O-R-P-H-Y-R-Y. You know him, right? Mm -mm. He's a Platonist, Neoplatonist. Mm -hmm. To whom says... Now here it says, Eunapius. He is the biographer of Iambicus. He was, on, he was in nothing inferior except in the structure and the power of composition. For his writings were not so elegant and graceful as those of Forfury. They were neither agreeable nor perceptuous nor free from impurity of diction. Does this mean Forfury is a better writer? Mm -hmm. So Ambicus was not a really good writer, right? He's a, he could be a good philosopher but a bad writer. <laughs> And though they were not entirely involved in obscurity and perfectly faulty, yet, as Plato formally said of Xenocrates, he did not sacrifice to the mercurial graces. Hence he is far from detaining the reader with light, who merely regards his diction, but will rather avert and dull his attention and frustrate his expectation. However, through the surface of his compass, conceptions is not covered with the flowers of elocution, elocution, elocution. See, if I had elocution, I could actually say it. Elocution. If I see, I'm kind of like him. I don't have elocution, elocution. I can't even say it. <laughs> e l o c u t i o n. Mm. 
I guess if you had alocution, you could say alocution. Yet the depth of them is admirable, and his genius is truly sublime, and omitting his style to abound in general with these defects, which I have been noticed by the critics. Yet it appears to me that the decision of the anonymous Greek writer respecting his answer to the epistle of Fervory, hmm, is more or less applicable to all his other works, for he says, quote, that his diction and that answer is concise and definite, and that his conceptions are full of efficacy, are elegant and divine. I am because cuss shared in all shared in an eminent degree the favor of divinity on account of his cultivation of justice and obtained a numerous multitude of associates and disciples who came from all parts of the world for the purpose of participating in the streams of wisdom which is so plentifully flowed from the sacred fountain of his wonderful mind. Among these was Sopater the Syrian. This says Sopater succeeded Platonus in his philosophical school. Platonus, P-L-O, he's very famous, T-I-N-U-S. Do you know Platonus? Of course. Plotinus, P-L-O-T-I-N-U-S. Can you say it? Plotinus. P-L-O-T-I-N-U-S. Plotinus. Plotinus, see? <laughs> we need, like, a Greek version of Miss A. Uh -huh. Could you be the Miss Miss G, as in Miss uh, Greeks Trent Plotinus? Uh, I still can't say it. Plotinus. Why is there an accent on the T, or is there no accent? There's no accent in Greek. Plotinus. Plotinus. There's no accents. I put it on the wrong one? Yeah. Which one's it supposed to be on? I said Ploti. Ploti? How do I know it's on the T? Because you have to know. You have to hear it sometimes. Plotinus. God, I can't speak Greek, ancient Greek at all. I'm going to have to, like, learn to speak ancient Greek. <laughs> I'll never Even be. If you speak modern, you learn the accents. Modern Greek? Say my name. Oh, God. <laughs> you see, I can't. You see, you can't even put the accent correctly on my name. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't even say it. Just give up. You have to give up. Well, they say he had no elocution. <laughs> Eloquation. <laughs> I give up. Among these was Sopater, the Syrian, who was most successful, skillful both in speaking and writing. Eustathius, the Cappadocian, and of the Greeks, Theodorus and Ephrasus. Everybody should have a map where those 
cities and those schools and those great names are written. Oh, well. So you have to have the map of philosophy, the map, the map of the great philosophers, where they were born, where they had schools, and what students came out of those schools. We want to study. So that's the famous map that we're supposed to have. And those cities where the Pythagorean school, great teachers, taught the international, they're not Syrian, they're not Greek. They're just I suppose to reopen the school of Pythagoras. Of Do you want to reopen it in, Sa in Samos, where all those, like, dear... Where all those Syrian refugees are, you could open the Pythagorean school of philosophy. Oh, those, you see some of those Syrians, they show, they look like Greeks. Why don't we just they take... They show mixed, if they examine the DNA, probably there is a lot of mixed. Why don't we just take these, Greek roots, the Syrian refugee camps, turn them into the Pythagorean school of philosophy, and, and we'll go over there and, and <laughs> next to the refugee camp in Samos. <laughs> And you could come straight to to philosophy school from Syria. What? The glory. But all the refugees would have the requirements. They have poverty. What else do they have? They have the required ingredients to take philosophy. They have frugality and poverty, and they um, You can address it in the New York Times. Ask money from uh, money. the nation, the United Nations. To start the Pythagoras school? Are you making coffee? Because I need my luxurious items. Uh, <laughs> you can. Oh, these were excellent. You can be frugal. All of these were excellent, excellent for our. I, well, we, well, I need moderation, actually, with some luxuries. All of these. Look at you. Morning, and you have one, two cups, three cups, four cups, and, <laughs> and two thermos. All these were excellent for the virtues and attainments as well as many other the disciples who were not much inferior to the former Alcons, so that it seems wonderful that Iambicus could attend to all of them with such gentleness of manners, benignity, and disposition of his continually displayed. He performed some few particulars relative to the veneration of divinity by himself without his associates and disciples, but was inseparable from his familiars in the most of his operations. He imitated in his diet the frugal simplicity of the most ancient times, and during his repast, exhilarated those who were present by his behavior and filled them as with nectar by the sweetness of his discourse. A celebrated philosopher named Alapius, who was deeply skilled in dialectic, was contemporary with Iambicus, who but was of such a diminutive stature that he exhibited the appearance of a pygmy. However, his great abilities amply compensated for his trifling defect. For his body might be said to be consumed into soul, just as the great Plato says. That divine bodies, unlike those that are mortal, 
are situated in souls. Thus also it might be asserted of Alypius that he had migrated into soul and that he had contained and governed by a natural superior nature superior to man. This Alypius had many powers, but his mode of law sufficing was confined to private conference and disposition disputation without committing any of his dogmas to writing. Hence his disciples gladly applied themselves to Iambicus, desirous to draw abundantly from the exuberant streams of his inexhaustible mind. The fame, therefore, of each continually increasing, they once accidentally met like two refulgent stars and were surrounded by so great a crowd of auditors that it resembled some mighty museum. Well, Ambicus on this occasion waited rather to be interrogated than to propose a question himself. Uh, Alipius, contrary to the expectation of everyone, requests to relinquishing philosophical discussions and seeing himself surrounded with a theater of men, turned to Ambicus and said to him, Tell me, O philosopher, is either the rich man unjust or the heir of the unjust man? For in this case there is no medium. But Ambicus, hating the acuteness of the question, replied, quote, O most wonderful of all men, this manner of considering whether some one excels in externals is foreign from our method of philosophizing, since we inquire whether a man abounds in the virtue which it is proper for him to possess, and which is adopted to a philosopher. After he had said this, he departed, and at the same time all the surrounding multitude was immediately dispersed. But Ambicus, when he was alone, admired the acuteness of the question, and often privately resorted to Olypius, whom he very much applauded for his acute acumen and sagacity, so that after his decrease he wrote his life. This Alapius was an Alexandrian by birth, and died in his own country, worn out with age, and after him, Iambicus leaving behind him many roots and fountains of philosophy, which through the cultivation of succeeding Platonists, Platonus produced a wide variety of vigorous branches and copious streams. Uh, mm-hmm. You, the coffee is coming. For an account of the theological writings of Iambicus, I refer the reader to my above-mentioned history of the restoration of the Platonic theology. That's another book. Uh-huh. It's a history of the restoration of the Platonic philosophy. It's the restoration of Plato. And for accurate critical information concerning all his works, to the, here we go, Bibliotheca Gracia of Fa- Fabricius. Uh-huh. Fabricius? Who is Fabricius? I don't know. Bibliotheca Gracia of Fabricius. Uh-huh. What? Greek Library. Of the following work, The Life of Pythagoras, it is necessary to observe that the original has been transmitted to us in a very imperfect state. 
partly from the numerous verbal errors of the text, partly from the want of connection in the things that are narrated, and partly from many particulars being related in different places in the very same words, so that the conjecture of Custer, one of the Greek-German editors of this work, is highly probable that it had not received the last hand of Ivan Bacchus, but that others formed this treatise from the confused materials which they found among his manuscripts after his death, notwithstanding all its defects, however it is, as I have before observed, the most interesting work, and the benefits are inestimable, which the dissemination of it is calculated to produce. And as two of the most celebrated critics among the Germans, Custer and Keisling, have given two splendid editions of this work, it is evidence that they must have been deeply impressed with the conviction of its value and importance. As to the Pythagoric ethical fragments, all eulogy of them is superfluous when it is considered that independently of their being written by very early Pythagoreans, they were some of the sources from which Aristotle himself derived his consummate knowledge. Hmm. Of morality, as will be at once evidenced by comparing his Nicomachean ethics with these fragments. With respect to the collection of pathogenic sentences in this volume, it is almost needless to observe that they are incomparably excellent. It is deeply to be regretted that the Greek original of the sentences of Sextus being lost, the fraudulent German version of them by the presbyter Rufinus alone remains. I call it a fraudulent version because Rufinus, wishing to persuade the reader that these sentences were written by a bishop of the name of Sextus, Sextus as in many places perverted and contaminated the meaning of the original in this sense. Selection, however, which I have made with these sentences, I have endeavored in much trust, not in vain, to give the genuine sense of Sextus unmingled and mingled with the barbarous and polluted interpolations of Lufrinius. So the English reader has my translation of the sentences, Domo Philus, and Master Branch's translation of the golden sentences of Adamocritus and similitudes of Demophilus. He will then be possession of all the philosophic sentences that are extant. Those alone of sectus are accepted, which I have not translated, in consequence of the very impure and perspurious state in which they are present to exist, I deem it also requisite to observe that the philosophic life which is here delineated is a specimen of the greatest perfection in virtue and wisdom which can be attained by man in the present state. Hence it exhibits piety unadulterated with folly, moreover chill and contaminated with vice science and mingled with sophistry, dignity of mind and manners and accompanied with pride, a sublime magnificence in theory without any degradation in practice and a vigor of intellect, which elevates its possessor to the vision of divinity and thus deifies while it exalts the origin all of the engraving of the head of Pythagoras facing the title page is to be found at the end. Hmm. I'll read that again. Hence it is, exhibits piety undulterated with folly, moral virtue and contaminated with vice science and mangled with suffetry, dignity of mind and manners accompanied with pride. A sublime magnificence in theory without any degradation in practice and a vigor of intellect which elevates a possessor to the vision of divinity and thus deifies while it exalts. That's the end of the introduction.
and pretty much the end of this reading and the end of reading this book. But we read more about Iamblichus. We read Iamblichus's life of Pythagoras, but then we read about the life of Iambicus. But we haven't read the life of Thomas Taylor. So we may actually read some of that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm going to stop here.